I struggled with uh, multiple times, um, was learning to program. I'm an engineer, and it's convenient as an engineer to be able to, to do uh, computer programming. Thank you, Matt. And uh, I've tried teaching myself. I tried taking a class, uh, some self-tutorial. And I've always ended up, uh, as you call it, uh, throwing in the towel. You know, it's like things were not working out, or I changed my mind, uh, or it was just too much for me, and I, I gave up. I gave up. And uh, what we will see uh, this morning is that God is different than us. God doesn't uh, give, give in, give out. He doesn't throw in the towel uh, on his projects. And that's, that's a, a wonderful truth because uh, we are uh, God's creation. He made us in his own image, and uh, he made us uh, for a purpose. Uh, there's um, a passage about that in Isaiah uh, chapter 46, um, God speaking through Isaiah to Israel says, uh, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, who are far from righteousness, I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for, my, for Israel, my glory. So God has purposed, and he will also do it. With that, let's turn to our passage for today, Romans chapter 11. We've been studying about uh, the nation of Israel, we, uh, I think, titled this mini-series Inside Romans, uh, What About Israel? Or What Happened uh, to Israel? Because Israel were uh, clearly God's chosen people. We will see that again shortly. Um, and he was working in them, and he was working through them uh, to the point of Jesus coming, the Messiah of Israel. And then, uh, very strangely, uh, it was the Gentiles that believed in him instead of Israel. Now, some of Israel believed in him. Again, we'll see that today. But on the, on the great majority, on the large scale, it was the Gentiles who responded to the gospel message instead of Israel. And so Paul is taking uh, this time here in the middle of the epistle to the Romans to deal with that question. What about Israel? What happened to Israel? So, uh, Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says 
of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let the table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. So first, we want to recognize that Israel was a project of God, right? God has chosen to have them as his special people. Uh, perhaps the first uh, inclination of that is in Genesis chapter 12, where God is calling Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he says to him, now the Lord has had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God tells Abraham he's going to make a great nation uh, out of him, and that nation was uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, he gave him a land. He promised him blessing to bless him and through him to bless the entire world. And we recognize that that also captures in it the gospel message. The blessing that was going to come through Abraham to the whole world was the blessing of the gospel. Uh, later on, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, um, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So now it's no longer just Abraham. Uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, went down to Egypt with his 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And there they became already a great nation, several million people. And uh, they were slaves in Egypt. They were uh, being oppressed by the Egyptians. They cried out to God. God acknowledged them as his people, and he brought them out, as he says here, as on eagle's wings, right? How do millions of people survive for 40 years in the desert? Uh, only <laughs> by the grace of God. And, uh, and God brought them out, and he made this promise to them that they would be to him a special treasure above all people. They were going to be a special nation. And he describes them here as a kingdom of priests uh, and a holy nation, something that sadly has yet to be fulfilled. We should say gladly because we believe it still will be fulfilled. It hasn't yet been fulfilled. But there was a project, <laughs> call it Project Israel, that God has taken upon himself. And God does not throw in the towel. Right? When he decides he will do something, he will do it. Now, as we already uh, suggested, Israel failed to obey the gospel. They, the key to this promise was the Lord Jesus coming as Israel's Messiah and as the Samaritan woman found the Savior of the whole world. And yet Israel has chosen to reject him. And um, without Christ, there is no salvation. Right? Some people think that, well, because you're Jews, because you're God's special people, Maybe you don't really need Jesus. You could be God's people somehow without him. There is no salvation, right? That was a clear message. Uh, Peter gave it to the chief priests, right? Uh, there is one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no salvation apart from him. Um, so what is God going to do now that Israel has rejected his son, has rejected the gospel message that the apostles were bringing? Uh, and that's where Paul says, has God cast away his people? Has he thrown them away and said, okay, well, you know, I had great hopes and plans for you, but because you rejected my son, because you rejected the gospel, you know, I washed my hands of you. I've done everything I could, and, and, and you're on your own. Um, no. Uh, praise the Lord. That's not the God uh, that we have. Paul says, certainly not. Uh, and first he brings the material evidence. What's the material evidence? Himself, right? I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the type of Benjamin. Um, Paul, as well as all the other apostles, were Jews, right, who did believe in Jesus. Uh, now, as in the case of Paul, it sometimes took a lot of work, right, to bring him to the point where they bowed the knee uh, to the Lord Jesus, but they were evidence that God was not done with the nation of Israel because he still was saving Jews at that time. Um, I'm another material evidence here before you. God, in his grace, chose to save me too, uh, 2,000 years later. Uh, I've, heard it, I've heard it said, uh, yes, there's other, other in the audience, there's more physical evidence, material evidence. Um, it's been estimated uh, that there's somewhere between 100 and 250,000 Jews who believe in the Lord Jesus today. So 
Granted, that's not a very high percentage. It's only about 1% right, of the Jewish people. Right? And as we'll see here, it's clearly it's called a remnant. But God is still saving Jews. He's not done with the nation of Israel, or he wouldn't be uh, saving any Jewish people. He's still keeping them. Uh, then there's the scriptural evidence. So the physical or material evidence was Paul. And then the uh, scriptural evidence is in verse 2, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Uh, Elijah lived in perhaps the worst apostasy of the nation of Israel. Uh, king Ahab was the king. King Jezebel was also the king. <laughs> and uh, she uh, uh, invited in the priests of Baal. And the nation as a whole followed Baal. Uh, Samaria, the capital, had in it uh, the big temple of Baal. And, and she sent out and killed all of God's prophets in the land. So the people would only worship uh, Baal. And Elijah, uh, you know, tried very hard uh, to turn the people back to the Lord, even to this great encounter on Mount Carmel, where uh, he challenges the priests of Baal. And, uh, and they cry out for all day, and, uh, and no fire comes down on the altar. And, and he comes and he prays to God and fire comes down on the altar, consumes, proves that Jehovah was God's, uh, was, was Israel to God and they needed to turn to him. And still, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you for what you did. And he runs away uh, to the wilderness and there he meets with God and it says that he pled with God against Israel. You know, God, <laughs> I think you should wipe him out right? Uh, they, they've killed all of them. I'm the last faithful uh, worshiper of Jehovah in the nation, and they want to kill me. Uh, but what does the divine response say to him is the point that Paul is making here. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, so God corrects him and says, you know, I, I know it feels like you're the only one but there's actually 7,000 of you. But the key point here is God has reserved them. Perhaps all would go apostate. Um, that is indeed the, the tone of the scripture. Had God not taken an active role, but God took an active role and he says, I'm not done with Israel. And, uh, and as a result, he, he preserved 7,000 men that would not bow the knee to Baal and continued faithful in the worship of Jehovah. And Paul applies that scriptural truth to today. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Just as God had, in Israel's worst apostasy, uh, preserved the remnant to himself because he was not done with Israel, so at this present time, God is preserving a remnant of Israel because he's not done with Israel. And um, 
he, he emphasizes in this passage that this is an election of grace. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according uh, to the election of grace. And I, and I hinted that it indicates that without God's direct action, there would be no remnant. And that's consistent with the scripture. In um, Earlier in this uh, passage where Paul is writing about Israel in chapter 9, he quotes Isaiah, uh, saying, As Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? How many people remained alive of Sodom and Gomorrah? There was none. God completely destroyed them. Now, by grace, again, he took out, first of all, Lot and Lot's daughters. But of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was nothing left. And what Paul and Isaiah are saying here, God is saying, is unless God had taken an active role to preserve a seed to Israel, they would be completely gone. Right? God had to take an active role. Uh, Jesus says the same thing uh, to the Jews as they were uh, rejecting him. In John chapter 6, he says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And this emphasizes the truth that without God's active role in drawing a person to, uh, to himself, uh, nobody would come uh, to God. Uh, we were talking earlier today about the Samaritan woman and how Jesus uh, made that uh, personal step of introducing her to himself and engaging her uh, with, with himself before she came to faith in him. Uh, Paul is another great example. He was riding to Damascus to uh, put believers in jail, to drag them back in chains to Jerusalem, and uh, Jesus meets him on the road, uh, literally knocks him off his horse, and, uh, and, and bring, you know, works in Paul to bring Paul to faith in himself. And uh, every person who, who is saved has some sort of encounter with the Lord, as I believe Don mentioned during the breaking of bread, uh, that the Lord uses uh, to draw them to himself. And therefore, it is an act of grace. Right? Whenever a person is saved, uh, this remnant of Israel is a remnant of grace. These are people whom God has come and in some way met and drew them to himself. I can think of my own life. I had very little interest in God. And uh, I was at a fairly low point of my life um, in college. Uh, I, I started drinking, uh, even experimented uh, with uh, with, with other substances, and um, was involved in, uh, in sexual immorality. I was not a happy person. And uh, it was during that time that God, in his grace, brought Sharon to the fraternity house I was in. And um, 
you know, and I was interested in girls at the time. Oh, look at that. Another girl just came through the doors. Uh, and, uh, and God used that to eventually bring me to Calvary Bible Chapel as a visitor. And, that's, and I'll talk more about my story next week. But that is when I, for the first time in my life, found people who had a genuine relationship with God. And, um, and God used that, I'll, I'll talk about it more next week, to bring me to himself. Anyways, I could trace how God found me at a particular time in my life that I was more sensitive, more open, and, and drew me uh, to himself, brought me to a point where I could hear the gospel and, and get saved. And so it is, it is a remnant according to the election of grace. And then Paul says something that may sound a little bit confusing here. In verses, verse 6, it says, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And I think what Paul is hitting here at is uh, those who try to combine Jesus uh, with uh, law-keeping. Um, some, some Jews perhaps said, well, yeah, Jesus is wonderful. He's, you know, he's the Messiah, and we need him to be saved, but you also still need to keep the law of Moses to be saved. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus. You also have to keep the law. And, I, and, and Paul is striking at him and says, look, it's not, you cannot mix grace and, and works. Otherwise, you're going to change uh, the definition of what, of what grace is. If, if you also have to, to do something for your salvation, then I can't call it grace anymore. Right? You've changed the definition of grace once you bring work into it. Uh, if you work, you do uh, an eight-hour or 40 hours a week work, at the office, and, uh, and then uh, at the end of the week or two weeks, your boss comes with a check and says, I'd like you to realize that this is grace, and this is a gift from the company to you. It's like, I I've been working for the last two weeks. I don't see why you're calling it a gift. Um, and, but that's what, what's being done. The scripture is very clear. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Works has no place in our salvation. It's an act of grace by God. It's a gift, the gift of salvation. Uh, in verse 7, Paul says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. We talked about that. And now he turns and says, and the rest were blinded. The rest were blinded. Uh, God exercises judgment uh, in his own way at his own time. Uh, we, we're all, we know that the Bible teaches us of the, of the judgment or the great white throne judgment. That will come at the end of the ages uh, where we will at least... Uh, one of the ends of one of the ages. We're all going to be standing uh, before God. Uh, the rich and poor, the large and small, we'll all give an account uh, for our lives before him. Uh, we're all going to be found sinners unless your name is written in the book of life. Um, 
and God will judge each person according to their sin, and, and they will go and spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire if your name is not written in the book of life. Uh, but God has also, at certain times and places, judged people on the earth. And you could think of, uh, for example, the nations around Israel, uh, that God judged them by destroying those nations completely. Uh, the nations that were in Canaan were destroyed completely, and God actually used Israel to bring judgment on them. Sodom and Gomorrah, we talked about them, completely annihilated by fire and brimstone, the judgment of God, a particular time, a particular place where God exercised it. This is another one of God's judgments. It's a particular place, particular time, on a particular people. And in this case, it's the nation of Israel, and they're being judged by being made blind. Blind. Uh, in uh, the Greek, the actual word is to petrify. Petrify, which we typically think of as making something into stone. That's literally what the word means. Uh, Sometimes, instead of saying uh, the judgment of blindness, we call it the judgment of hardness. We talked, uh, I think a few weeks ago, Luke talked about Pharaoh's heart being made hard, right? And if you look at it carefully, you would see that Pharaoh hardened his heart before God hardened his heart. God came to him with a message. In his case, it was fairly simple. Israel is my people. Uh, let them go. Let them go. And Pharaoh would not let them go, right? He didn't want to let them go. They were his slaves, free labor in the millions. They were building cities for him. Why would he let them go? And so he resisted God. Eventually, God stepped in as the judgment increased in volume and magnitude, and it says God hardened his heart. What does it mean? It means God made it so that his heart would not change anymore. That's when you make something into stone. When, it's, when something is clay, you could still change it into whatever you want to. Once it hardens into stone, uh, you can't change the shape of it anymore. And so the heart of Pharaoh, if you would, was as stone. It couldn't change anymore. It was hardened. And it didn't matter how many more plagues God would have brought on Egypt. Pharaoh would not change his heart because it was turned into stone. It was hardened. It was blinded. And the same thing happened to the nation of Israel. Um, God has been speaking to them, and he's been speaking to them and judging them, right? They've, they've, they've experienced the judgment of being exiled to Babylon, right? And he brought them back, and he still was speaking to them. And they kept resisting him and not responding to him, and so finally, God is now judging them with blindness. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And we can see that uh, blindness already in, uh, in the times of... Uh, of Jesus preaching to them, and, and I don't know that I could tell you, you know, when did it exactly transition from them hardening their hearts to God hardening their heart, right? And even in the case of Pharaoh, we look at him, exactly when does the transition happen? We don't know, but the more he was hardening his own heart, the more he was resisting God, you could say the more God's judgment was now 
coming upon him. The same with the nation of Israel. I can't tell you exactly when it happened, but we see it happening even in the Gospels. Uh, Matt read for us last week uh, from John chapter 12. It says, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. Jesus uh, came to the nation of Israel and he did miracles that proved who he was. He fed a multitude with uh, five loaves and, and two fish. Uh, he healed people, not just from normal diseases, but from uh, permanently impaired functions such as blindness, such as lameness. Uh, he walked on water. He raised people from the dead, right? Why aren't you going to believe in a person who's doing all these things? And um, the answer, again, was this blindness, this hardness that was coming on the nation of Israel. Jesus says uh, he rebuked <coughs> the, the cities in which his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. In Matthew 11, he said, Woe to you, Kohazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He said, you know, if I was doing these miracles anywhere else on the earth, people would believe me. But you guys won't, right? It's, again, it's this blindness uh, that has come upon uh, the nation of Israel. Um, now, we need to be careful because this judgment that God has brought upon Israel uh, is something that can happen to us today. We can resist God's revelation so much to the point that uh, this judgment of hardness will come upon us that we will just become irresponsive uh, to the gospel. In uh, 2 Thessalonians, uh, Paul is writing about the end times uh, of a similar judgment that will come to pass. He says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. In that case, he's talking about when the Antichrist will come. He will perform miracles. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So Satan is coming, or the Antichrist is coming, and, uh, and he will be doing signs and wonders, and, and uh, he will deceive people because they did not receive the love of the truth. When the gospel was preached to them, uh, they would not obey the gospel. They did not. Uh, believe the gospel. And it says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion so that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And now we see it's not just Satan. God himself will confirm their choice. They chose to reject the gospel when it was presented to them. And they've come to a point where God is done working with them. And God will allow them to be deceived uh, by these lying wonders 
that Satan uh, will be doing. And the reason given here is that they had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that brings us back to the passage in, in Romans where David says, let the table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense uh, to them. Uh, my table, I usually think of, are covered with good things. We have a table over there who, uh, thanks to uh, uh, Jen, was covered with uh, you know, monkey bread and other good things uh, to eat. That's what I think of my table. And yet the table here instead is laid with a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense uh, to them. And the connection is it's these things that we like that we enjoy that can become our stumbling block to receiving uh, the gospel. In the case of Israel, it was their pride. Uh, Matt pointed out how the Jews would not go through Samaria. They looked down at the Samaritans as a, you know, a mixed breed, breed uh, people who lost the pure uh, law of God. And, uh, and they felt that they were better than that. They felt that they were righteous. They were God's chosen people. And, uh, and keeping the law of God. And therefore, they were right with God. They were the, the seed of Abraham, the friend of God. These were all things that they took pride of. And so when Jesus came and said, I came to save you from your sins, they're like, you must mean the Samaritans or the Gentiles. <laughs> you can't be talking about us, right? We're good, right? That was the stumbling block, the table the table, that which they enjoyed, their source of pride, became that which kept them away from God. And so is the danger today. Um, I might uh, take pleasure in unrighteousness. I might uh, have a live-in girlfriend. Or I enjoy uh, you know, doing other things that, that God disapproves of. And someone comes to me with the gospel, and I'm like, if I'm going to listen to you, I have to give up on my table, right? these things that I like to do. And, uh, and that could become a stumbling block uh, to you. And um, the end result is blindness. Let their eyes be darkened that they do not see and bow down their back always. What can we uh, take as a way of application to ourselves from this passage? Uh, first of all, uh, we should be encouraged by God's faithfulness to Israel. If God is faithful to Israel, we can trust he will also be faithful to us. Philippians 1.6 say, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has begun a good work in you. He brought you to himself. He gave you the gospel in which you have believed. He has given you the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit, uh, changes in your life, a love for the truth. Now, we might have stumbled since. We might have found ourselves uh, down on our face more than once, uh, not following God, making mistakes. But he who has begun a good work in you will not throw in the towel. Right? He's not going to give up on you. He will be faithful to you. <clears throat> uh, I think Don was the one who, who preached from this passage, or maybe it was David. I could be wrong. Romans 8, 
Uh, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So it starts at the very, very beginning. God foreknew us. He called us. He justified us. And he will also glorify us. Right? He's not going to give up until the work is done. And we will be glorified in his presence, <coughs> bearing upon ourselves the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, being like him. Second, um, if there's any here, or perhaps someone listening to this message who has not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, Hebrews 3 uh, says to you, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. You still have an opportunity. If you're listening to this message, uh, you still have that opportunity to hear God's message. You have not yet been blinded. You have not yet been made deaf. God wants you to know that you are a sinner condemned because of your sins, but he loves you and sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for your sins. He was buried and he rose again according to the scripture. And anyone who puts his faith in him will be saved. So you're invited uh, to partake in that salvation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness toward us. We recognize that it's, it's your work from A to Z. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And we have been blessed <coughs> to be the recipient of your grace. We thank you for the clarity of your word and, uh, and for the encouragement that as you have been faithful to the nation of Israel in preserving them, so you will be faithful to us to preserve us to yourself, so we too could be there uh, uh, in your presence and see your glory there as you prayed to the Father on our behalf. We pray for anyone listening to this message who has not yet received you and hasn't been hardened to the point that they cannot uh, see or understand the truth of this message, Lord. We pray that you in your sovereign grace will touch their hearts and and bring them, draw them uh, to yourself. We know that it is those who are taught by the Father who come to the Son, and we just beg for that work of grace in their hearts. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.